SMQBs, this is episode 44, most certainly the John Riggins episode. Look, I wasn't there. I don't have any idea what happened this week. I suspect they talked NFL, probably Formula One, and I'm sure they had somebody to punch and maybe even a Ted Lasso. Check it out. Goose five stars. Have fun. SMQBs episode 44. We're uh, we're down two of our mates and soldiering on without them. We're we're missing um, Bison and Milk tonight, um, but we've got House and Pope in the house. So let's go. Um, What's up, Rooster? How's it going, Rooster. everybody? How you doing? How you doing? Back from Nashville. Want to hear all yeah. about it, Rooster? Nashville was great. Uh, went to a uh, Titans game with my two sons and my niece. And saw probably Urban Meyer's last game. Uh, <laughs> That's a- the guy, I mean, it was just like watching an NFL team play a Division Three football team. It was terrible. They're they're awful, just awful. And and uh, Fabio, their quarterback. I don't I don't know what all the hype is about. He looked terrible. He he, he just a different coach. He needs a different coach. He needs somebody to tell him not to panic in the pocket and roll left all the time when he's a right-handed thrower and then throw interceptions because he, he needs I, to be I, able to play the ACC again because that's yeah. as good as he ever is going to be. I, th- I think they might have gotten across the 50-yard line once in the whole game. They never, they never attempted a kick and never were a threat to score a touchdown. It was that bad. They're bad. Yeah. So hey, episode so- 44, huh? Yeah, you know, we have a tradition of trying to make people guess who should be the athlete with the famous number for our episode. But uh, I think we need to throw that one out the window for this one because there's no contest. It's Hank Aaron, right? I mean, who else would it be but Hank Aaron? So let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk about the runners up, okay? I'm going to read off some runners up for you and let's vote on who would be the 44 absent Hank Aaron. I got mine. The obvious choice, of course, is behind me. Um, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, the only oh, the candy have, bar guy, the only guy to have a candy bar named af- after him, with the possible exception of Babe Ruth. But there's some controversy controversy about the Baby Ruth bar. It's delicious. Um, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, the Reggie bar was better. Um, <laughs> another possible 44 in baseball is Willie McCovey. Uh, I don't put him up there with Reggie, but I think he's a great one. There are a couple of, of basketball players who are worthy of massive consideration. Uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's own pistol Pete. Gotta go with pistol Pete. Gotta go with pistol Pete is the best driveler in the history of basketball period. He owns almost every scoring record in the NCAA from LSU and was just, when I was a kid, every instructional video I ever watched on basketball starred Pistol Pete. I mean, I still know those dribbling drills from, from him, but how about, no, there would be no magic or John Stockton without Pistol Pete. Correct. Correct. All right. But 
Who's the big one we're missing from the NBA? The Iceman cometh. Ice. One more. Oh. Mr. Ooh. Clutch, the logo, Jerry West. Oh, Jerry West. Okay. Jerry West. Jerry West. I mean, this logo is a boy. magical number. Everybody wants to be 44. Uh, and, and you're right, the Iceman with the famous finger roll. Um, he uh, he was kind of before a lot of people's time, but man, he was he was the bomb. Um, Hall of Famer, four shooting titles with the Spurs, scoring titles. But in 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 you know, out of respect to uh, Bison, we have to mention Rigo, the Diesel. Yeah, he'll, right? He'll get so number mad if we don't. It would have been his forty-four. 44. In 1972, before he even joined the then Redskins, Rigo averaged 11.2 yards a carry for an entire season. Whoa. He's, he ran for over 13,400 yards in his career, scored 116 touchdowns, uh, made the Hall of Fame in 1992. Um, in, in 1983, when he was 34 years old, he scored 24 touchdowns in the season. And then Whoa. the next year led the league in rushing. At age 35, he was the MVP of Super Bowl 17 against the Dolphins. And so we can assume Bison is voting for Rigo. But what about you guys? Who do you vote for the, as runner? Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. I, there are a lot of people who would say there is an egregious football player missing from this list. Many people consider him the best running back of all time. Jim Brown wore 44. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, at Syracuse, but not in the NFL. He didn't wear it in the NFL. I, think, I don't think so. I think he wore it at Syracuse. Yeah, he would okay. be. He'd be up there with Hank Aaron. I think if he wore it in the NFL. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, what do you think? I know you got. I'm, Pistol ca- Pete. I'm, I'm going. Uh, I'm going Reggie. That's two for I, Reggie. I, I just love the way Pistol Pete handled the ball. His creativity, his imagination on the floor. It is. So- so fun to watch that. And you're right. I still think that people use Pistol Pete stuff as instructional video today. So he's a legend and uh, he'd be my runner up. Well, if you guys ever dare to step foot on a half court basketball <laughs> court with me, you'll see some of those moves. Here we go. <laughs> so where did uh, where did Pistol Pete play uh, in an NBA? Mostly jazz. for the Jazz. He started yeah. for the Jazz, but he wound up with the Celtics. No, before that, who was he drafted by? Who did he play for? I oh, oh uh, no, I think he, played, he might have played in the ABA a little bit. The Alabama. Hawks, baby. Oh, the Atlanta Hawks? Yeah, they drafted him. I actually saw really? him play. Yep. Ah. The Iceman played for the Virginia Squires for a little while. They had, they had the Iceman and... Uh, Rick Barry, I think, on the team at the same time. 44 is a good number. Yep. Well, House, take us into football week 14. What do you got? Week, uh, we, you know, we've been talking about how there's kind of been a return to form. I think it's continuing and some of the major upsets are starting to go away. Um, we had the return of Dalvin Cook this week and the Vikings – uh, ran through Dalvin Cook all over the Steelers. We had, until they didn't. Until they yeah. didn't. It was an exciting until, end. Until they reverted into being the Vikings. We had a very emotional game in Denver this week uh, with the loss, the untimely loss, 33-year-old Demarius Thomas, five-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, um, great wide receiver. Great stories are coming out now about what an incredible 
uh, person he was off the field, particularly with the kids. Uh, I think very, I think we're going to see CTE on that because he had a history of seizures. Yeah, people really. seem to love that guy. I mean, yeah. everybody who came across him just loved him. So that was an emotional win for the Broncos. Um, I think we saw one of the best passing touchdowns of the entire year from Justin Herbert. Absolutely. Who rolling to the right threw the ball, what must have been 60, 70 yards in the air on a absolute dime to Guyton uh, in the end zone for a touchdown. That in, was, between two, in between two defenders, I was watching that game, and the defenders were shocked that he was able to make that pass. I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely, in terms of the crop of young quarterbacks, I think all eyes remain on Justin Herbert. Um, we had two amazing overtime games. Um, the 49ers are impressing me right now. I, I, the Bengals are a pretty good team, but the 49ers, even though they let the Bengals come all the way back to tie that game, um, they really showed some moxie in that overtime. Jimmy G is finding his groove again. Debo Samuel is such a threat in the NFL. It's unbelievable. Um, that's an improving team. They made an important step towards the playoffs, which I think we'll hear about from Pope in a little bit. But the the overtime game of the week was Milk's Buccaneers, who were pasting, pasting yep. the Bills. And then in another fourth quarter letdown, the Bills came all the way back. A lot of incredible athleticism from Josh Allen found its way into an overtime game. The game might have ended in regulation were it not for a no call on a pass um, late in the game. The Bills tied it up with the field goal, went to obvious. overtime. Won, obvious PI. Won, obvious PI. Won the toss, couldn't move the ball up the field. Tom Brady gets the ball. And on the, I don't know, second, third, fourth play, throws his 700th touchdown uh, to Perriman. That was all she wrote. And the Bucs uh, took control of the NFC. But the Packers won't go away either. Um, Aaron Rodgers is full throttle still, uh, even though we'll have to see what happened with his injury there. He claims that his uh, fractured toe was aggravated in that game. So it was a it was a uh, it was a good week in the NFL in terms of the chalk really setting in. Um, you forgot about was, a little game in Landover. Yeah, I will. I want to save that for last because <laughs> the story of that game, I think, in that Cowboys WTF game was the defense. The Cowboys defense is borderline scary at this point. Um, and no one seems to be able to contain Micah Parsons, who will not only be up for defensive rookie of the year, he will be up for defensive player of the year. Um, but Dak is still inconsistent. And Pope, right now, if quarterbacks win championships, Dak's going to have to improve for you to win a championship. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that uh, I was watching ESPN today, and I, somebody said that he was – he was playing scared and they went over about five or six different plays where he kind of got happy feet, didn't stay in the pocket, went to his outlet to Zeke or somebody as opposed to throwing downfield. So um, something happened, you know, after he got hurt and when he came back, he's just not the same yet. Now he's got time to work it out. Fortunately for the Cowboys, they don't play anybody 
the rest of the year. I mean, obviously they're playing interdivisional uh, and they play the Giants next week, but he'll Dak will have time to get it worked out. But but you're right. If Dak doesn't get it figured out, they're going to have to win a big game on the road, assuming they win their first game. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, he is not right right where where he needs to be yet. I totally agree with that. Pope, I think the Cowboys' defense has outscored the Jags' offense in the last two weeks. <laughs> wow. I think, I mean, yeah. I really do think that's true. Yeah. I think yeah, they no, scored nine points. The Jags have scored nine points in two weeks. They're firing know. on all cylinders. You know, Demarcus Lawrence is back. Randy Gregory's back. Uh, they're, they're just playing right now with an edge, probably some of the best defense in the NFL. Um, so, you know, you can win games with defense, especially against some of the teams that are going to play the rest of the year. Uh, but can you, you know, does that translate to playoff success? Not, not unless your quarterback uh, starts hitting it. I'll tell you what you need to be watching is Tony Pollard has a torn plantar yeah. fasciitis, and he was playing a lot better than Zeke. Zeke's got a bad, bad knee. Um, the Cowboys are best when they have a good running game so that Dak, you know, can open it up. Uh, if the, if the Zeke's not able to run the ball, that's going to put a lot more pressure on Zach, on Deke, on Dak. And so, you know, we got potential problems ahead. That's all. That's also the thing I worry about with the 49ers. They, unlike past years where they could just run the ball down your throat if they needed to, they don't have a lead back right now. Who's healthy. The guys they're throwing in now aren't getting the job done. So you see Debo Samuel having to run the ball a lot, which is not going to be sustainable. Can you guys tell me what kind of brain aneurysm the Raiders players had when they decided to stomp on the Chiefs logo before the game? I, I honestly, I don't. What do you gain from that? Haven't, haven't they followed Juju Smith's career since he decided to pull that number? Well, you know what the first play of the game was after they did that, right? Josh What's Jacobs that? fumbled and oh, yeah, the Chiefs returned it for a touchdown. <laughs> I mean, they got pasted for, and and yeah. and here's the other one that I'm curious about. I don't know if you can tell this from the stands, Rooster, but is it possible with all this stuff about Urban Myers being such a jerk and having to beg players literally to come back? Marvin Jones, he had to beg to come back and play, and dumping on assistant coaches. Could you kind of tell that the players have just given up on this coach? Oh, on completely, completely. In fact. He looked like a pariah on the sideline. Nobody was talking to him. Nobody was talking to each other. They, they almost looked like they could not wait for that game to be over. Wow. I think somebody, somebody uh, went down, you know, or, or, you know, instead of running out of bounds late in the game, and the whole sideline just looked like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just end the misery. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because you look at Detroit and, you know, we've given their coach a lot of grief, but right. They don't give up. They don't give up. I mean, they are, they are still fighting uh, all the way to the end. And obviously they're behind now or ahead in the lottery sweepstakes or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I, I think they're a better team on the field than the Jags. Yeah. The Jags, I think the big the Jags are horrible. The Panthers are horrible. The Texans are horrible. It's just Jags know. at Texans, Texans this week. What are the, what's the viewership going to be for that? one? Yeah. That, I mean, they should just limit that to the radio yeah. <laughs> I mean, radio broadcast. I think the big injury of the week that may have playoff implications is Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Um, you know, he really banged up his ankle that 
offenses completely. It's Lamar, Lamar, and Lamar. And um, there was an enormous drop-off to the backup Hundley or whatever whatever his name is. And um, if he if he cannot return, you can scratch off the Ravens, is my opinion. Did, did any of you get the uh, pleasure of watching Mike Glennon at all? Oof. Uh, oh, my God. God. Mike, he, he doesn't belong in the NFL. He really doesn't. He's horrible. It's just another example of how can you tell me that guy is better than Cap. 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 He he just right now Cap could come in and throw a better ball than Mike Glennon. So I guess we can get started um, with our takeaways. I will say that we have some uh, takeaways that were reported to us long distance dedications from our missing SMQBs. Um, Patrick the Milk Michler had had two takeaways. His first takeaway is Tom Brady is so, so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> but his other takeaway, which gives is him Ladywood, <laughs> is that the Chiefs are starting to remind Milk of the 2020 Bucks, starting off slow and hitting the stride late. The scariest kind of teams. Kansas City is right back in this. And for Milk, they are his Super Bowl favorite out of. AFC. I, I I think it's hard to disagree with him on that one. What do you guys think there? Oh, Pope, you're on mute, so we got to get your audio back. No, what Uh-oh. happened there, Brewster? You're uh, go ahead because I'm going to do a little deeper dive on the playoffs. Well, what was your question? Do I agree with Milk? Yeah. Do you, yeah. What's about your takeaway? I, no, I, my, he was asking about Kansas City. I do agree yeah. with Milk. Um, you know, you've got three teams that are nine and four right now in the AFC. Um, I it's between the Pats and the Chiefs for me. I think the Titans um, sorely miss Derrick Henry. Still, I mean, they're a tough team and they've gutted it out. But I don't think they're quite there with the Chiefs and the Pats in terms of firepower and complete game. You know, the Pats have won seven straight games. That's pretty strong. But the Chiefs are starting to look, without even Tyreek Hill having a very good game, the Chiefs are now explosive again. So I, I think Milk is right. I think that they could be it. I, I'm, I'm going to go with the Pats, though, coming out of the AFC at this point. Now, our uh, foreign correspondent, Chris Bison Nace, who was uh, uh, embedding himself in Paris, had a very interesting takeaway. He uh, has a great take on the head-to-head matchup, intense matchup before, between the Musée d'Orsay and the Louvre. And the take <laughs> there is that the, <laughs> the Louvre has a, gr- a lot of great pieces, but most of them are artifacts, not masters. The Musée d'Orsay is filled with the masters, Monet, Manet, Degas, Renoir, Van Gogh. How do you like my French there? Just can't compete with that town. A lot better than the way you pronounce the museum. Yeah, Musée, it's Musée d'Orsay. <laughs> yes, the, the Louvre has Mona Lisa, but it's sort of like putting Trey Turner on the Dodgers. Everything around him is just too old to compete. Bison <laughs> has, clearly, awesome. has clearly taken a vacation from football. I, I think Bison's beret is a little too tight. <laughs> My my takeaway is that the NFL is such a better product when its stars are on all cylinders. Watching the Vikings with Dalvin Cook, 
watching Mahomes fully back, watching Russell Wilson back with Seattle, watching Justin Herbert play to his capacity. Of course, Tom Brady being a superstar in overtime, Aaron Rodgers playing to superstardom, Josh Allen competing till the end, and even Joe Burrow with some of his talent, early talent. The NFL is so much better when these guys are healthy. Um, it's just, I, I was, you know, when the Eagles are on by, I get to watch a lot more football than just a singular game and watching the superstars play. We got to keep these guys healthy. If we want these playoffs to be fun this year, that's my takeaway. My takeaway kind of segs right into what Brian's going to talk about. Um, I think we're in for a hell of a playoffs. We have four teams with nine wins right now at the 14 week mark. Um, and three with 10 wins and the cards haven't even played yet this week. So the cards could be an 11 win team, uh, coming out of tonight. Um, we're going to have huge competitive, great games, I think in this playoffs, and it's going to be awesome. I have one mic kind of micro takeaway, which is a, a little sad to me. I think over the years, the refs let anything go with respect to Cam Newton when he was in his prime. I mean, you could. You know, a defensive lineman could wind up and hit him head to head as hard as he wanted. And, and it would rarely be called because Cam's so big and it's clearly taken its toll. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's fool's gold at this point to think that Cam Newton is going to save your team and come back and be the Cam Newton of old. I mean, for every time he may run one in from 10 yards out, he's going to follow it up with an interception or two because he can't read defenses anymore. So, yeah, I think it's sad to see, but he's done. Hope so, you're up. Yeah, so I took a, a close look at where the different conferences are going to have their, you know, their number one seed and then down from there with some key matchups. You've got uh, two, three teams at nine and four in the AFC. Uh, what you've got the Chiefs who've won six in a row, the uh, Mac attacks who've won seven in a row, and the Titans are at nine and four. Now the tie break is going to be the conference records, right? So the Chiefs are four and four, the uh, uh, Titans are six and three, but the Patriots are seven and one. So the Patriots have a pretty big advantage right there on getting home field. And if you look at the games left, so huge game, my pre biggest game preview next week is Chargers uh, Chiefs. Yep. Because, because if the Chiefs can beat the Chargers, then they have the Steelers, Bengals, and Broncos. You know, no guarantees, but probably going to win. I easily see the Chiefs winning out. And, you know, that'll put them at 13 and four. Okay, so the... The Patriots have th their biggest game are next two. They are at the Colts, and it, you never know what's going to happen there. Colts are not playing bad at all. And then home against the Bills. I don't see Belichick losing that game. Just don't. And then Jags and Dolphins. Um, so you can easily see the Patriots uh, winning out, and they'll be 10, uh, 10 and, excuse me, 13 and 4 as well. So the Titans, they're at Steelers. They're home against the Niners, home against the Dolphins, and at Texans. I think they'll be favored in all those games as well. I mean, they could also win out. But if, if that happens, I think there's a good chance it might happen. Then, then the, uh, the Patriots are going to get the home field. And how important is that to go through Foxborough to the, to the Super Bowl as opposed to Arrowhead? It's, it makes all the difference. And they don't have to play an extra game. So 
that is where we're headed for, you know, the number one seed in the AFC. Now the wild cards is fascinating, right? Because you've got the chargers who are probably going to clinch wild card pretty quick. They're eight and five. You got the Colts who are holding the sixth seed at seven and six. The bills are holding the seventh seed at seven and six, and they're leaking oil big time. And then you got the Browns, Bengals, and Broncos. I didn't realize the Broncos were seven and six. You could have knocked me over with that. So the Broncos are still not only in it, but they're tied right now for the last wild card. Uh, two of those five teams, Steelers are six, six, and one, so I don't count them. But two of those five teams are going to make it. Three of them aren't going to make it. And then, you know, in the AFC North, Baltimore is eight and five. I just I don't see them holding on, especially if Lamar's out at all. Yeah. And they're playing the Packers this week. Right. Right. And then you got the Browns and Bengals at seven and six. And so, you know, how many playoff teams are going to come out of there? I, I don't know. So if if the seeds all stay as they are right now, here's your playoff matchups, uh, Rooster, to your point. First, first round, you got the Bills at the Titans. You got the Colts at the Chiefs. And you got the Chargers at the Ravens. I would give the Chargers probably the edge if that's, uh, if that's the case. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, question marks in the, in the AFC. In the NFC, divisions are over. There's not, a, there's not a competitive division left. Cowboys have a three-game lead. Packers have a four-game lead. Bucks have a four-game lead. And assuming the card beat the COVID-ravaged Rams tonight, they're going to have a three-game lead with two games in hand. Uh, so those, game, those divisions are over. Mm-hmm. The wild cards, though, that's where it's going to get fun. Toby, listen carefully. Wow, oh, come on. Don't give, give me hope. The Rams, the Rams are just like the Chargers. They're gonna clinch pretty soon. They're eight and four. They'll probably be eight and five after tonight, but that they have the upper hand. The 49ers now, because of that big win over the Bengals, they're seven and six. They have the sixth seed. And the seventh seed, there are one, two, three, four, five teams at six and seven. Right now. The, uh, the what the fucks have the advantage at six and seven, but the Vikings, Eagles, Falcons, and Saints are all six and seven. So out of, out of that group, you're going to have, assuming the Niners hold on, you're going to have one team out of the six and sevens. You guys have any thoughts on who that might be? I, I think you can scratch the Falcons and the Saints off. How can you not? They right? suck. And they suck. The Eagles and the, and the, um, football team can get hot any any week, and so you never know. They could go on a roll. I don't see the Falcons or the Saints going on a roll in in. Uh, well, I kind of Vikings, see the Vikings season. right now. Six the and Viking. seven. I think the Vikings could get in. Believe it or not, as bad as they have played and as many games as they have given away, I, I give them the edge. I give the 49ers the edge, but um, well, the four, I, 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 that's I, assuming the 49ers get the sixth spot. Yeah, also give the, the I also spot. give the Eagles the edge over the football team just because they've been more consistent in the last several weeks. The football team's one good game, one horrible game, one good game, one horrible game. Uh, guys, funny you are... say that because uh, oh wait, they're playing on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> we we are we are ten minutes and they're favored. At... Eagles are favored. Yeah, we we are ten minutes after a hot press of the COVID list for this week having come out and. For the Washington football team, Jonathan Allen is on the COVID list. You add Jonathan Allen to Best Chase player Young. by far on their team. Mm-hmm. That is Beast. a 
very different defensive line without those two and will definitely affect that game. So COVID is going, you know, COVID is affecting every sport right now. The Bulls are canceling games. The Flames are canceling games, the NHL. It's going to start hitting the NFL and it, it may affect this playoff race that Pope is talking about. Yeah. All right, so to sum up, though, let's talk about what the playoff matchups look like now because these are some delightful games. So the Cards get the bye. Then you have the uh, Washington football team at the Packers, the 49ers at the Bucks, and the Rams at the Cowboys in the first round. Those are all you know, potentially hope. interesting games. Yeah, yeah. I, you made, particularly as it relates to the AFC, some really interesting observations about where the playoffs go for. I'm going to task you for... In the next couple of weeks, I think our audience wants to hear how much has home field made a difference in the playoffs in the last several years. I think we've got this myth, and I don't know if it's a myth or not. If you have to go through Foxborough, if you have to go through Lambeau, if you have to go through Arrowhead, but has that held up? I feel like in recent years, some of the away teams have been winning. So you got to fill us in on that in the weeks ahead. No, I think I think you're right. I think mine is more of a traditional analysis. And a lot of it yeah. has to do with, let, let's say we're going through... Uh, Lambeau and Foxborough. I mean, the weather, you know, there could you know, yeah. look at the weather in the Bills game uh, up in Buffalo. Not to say that's what you would have in Foxborough, but yeah. totally gets, changed that game. Get a cold wind in Foxborough. It's a tough game. Or well, guys, Lambeau could be frozen. I got to tell you, speaking of playoff races, are we ready for the update on our Plaxico locks? Because we we have a dead heat. We have a dead heat between the people that are not even on our pod. <laughs> um, last week, the uh, Milk's streak has finally come to an end. He had the Jaguars plus nine and a half. He took a loss, fell to six and eight. But, Charger, but Bison taking another big spread with the Chargers at minus 10 and a half got a win and has tied up the lead at six and eight. We still can have a winning team this year. Pope taking the Titans minus nine and a half, got a win and moved to five and nine. He can't get above 500, but he could still get in there. House got a win <laughs> also with the Bucks to move to four and 10. And the big question is, can Rooster get to three and 11 with the cards win tonight? Minus two and a half. The so, best thing I can say is I didn't lose yet. He didn't lose yet. Not only that, but you have a COVID ravaged team. You've bet it. You have a great line. Yeah. Yeah. We have um, correspondent picks. We've got Milk has changed his strategy now. He's going to get bet against the Jaguars for the rest of this year until it doesn't work. So he's got Milk has got the Texans plus three oh, God. against the Jags. Yeah. He's got the Texans and. Um, Sticking with his big spread, Bison's got the Cardinals minus 13 and a half on the road at the Detroit Lions. Pope, what do you have? I, before the COVID stuff came out today, I was feeling the Eagle love and I'm going Eagles even harder now. Eagles giving five at the link. Wow. Wow. Against the okay. Washington football team. That's a lot of pressure. Rooster, what do you got? What do you have for the line in the Jets-Dolphins game? In the Jets-Dolphins game, the line is Dolphins minus eight and a half. And how about the Packers-Ravens? And in the Packers-Ravens game, it is Packers minus five on the road. Oh, now it's minus five. Huh? Wow. 
No Lamar. No Lamar. Uh, I might have to follow the Milks lead, though, and just bet against whoever's playing the Jets, and I'm going to take the Dolphins. Okay, I kind of like that. Because um, the Dolphins are feeling it, and they're coming off their own bye. So that's the Dolphins minus eight and a half. I am remaining on the Carson wagon. I think this is the big game of the year. I think the Pats streak has to run out at some point. I think Mac Jones gets overwhelmed by the crowd in Indianapolis. I think Carson arrested after a bye and that defense comes on. And I think the Colts minus two win straight up. And I've got the Colts in week 15. And there is our NFL wrap. Pat's giving two or the Colts? Colts are giving giving plus two. two. No, the Colts are giving two. The Colts are minus two. Oh, wow. Wow. Yep. Good there you down. have it. All right. So the odds makers think the Pats should be favored by one because they get the three point field. Correct. All right. So we had an exciting, exciting Sunday watching Formula One racing from Abu Dhabi. Uh, Pope, are you going to take the lead on that? And talk, there was a there's a lot of as the as the British announcers said, a lot of controversy controversy <laughs> of surrounding this race. Privacy. Um, I, I'm actually going to defer to my F1 buddy to give us the blow right. by blow, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, just to just to give you the fans a little bit of a of a of a background. You know, this was the last race of the year. Uh, the two top drivers were absolutely tied in points: Lewis Hamilton, who drives for Mercedes, and Max Verstappen, the evil Max Verstappen, who drives um, for uh, Red Bull. And so they came into this race and take it from their house. Give us, give us a rundown on all the craziness that. This is so unbelievable. This is so unbelievable. I read a stat today that in this entire season of F1 races, which is about 21, 22 races, there are 1,297 laps to be raced in F1. And the, the entire championship was decided on lap 1297. Um, the way F1 works, there's qualifying and the tires that you use in qualifying is important because once you use up tires, you only have a certain set of, uh, an allocation of tires. Um, and so what was kind of important here at the start of this race was that as a result of the qualifying, Max Verstappen was on the pole. But right next to him was Lewis Hamilton. But Max started the race on what are called soft tires. And they last a little bit shorter, but might have a little bit more grip. Lewis started the race on medium tires, which might not have as much grip, but will last a little bit longer. And the tire strategy, if you like kind of the thinking uh, man's game of sports, there is so much that goes into it in F1. And I think as a result of the tire strategy and just being a great race car driver, Lewis, even though he was a little bit behind in second, beat Max off the starting line and took the lead and never gave it back for almost the entire race. There was a really interesting development on the first lap of the race in the sixth turn of about 14, 15 turns on the track. In this turn six, uh, Lewis... And Max were going kind of nose to nose. And it 
seemed like Max kind of lunged across the track, and to avoid an accident, Lewis went outside the lines of the track, but came back onto the track which with what seemed to be a larger lead than he had before against Max. Mm-hmm. And Red Bull, you can hear some of the comments on the radio. Red Bull is going nuts on the radio that Lewis should have to give first place back to Max because he entered the track and got an advantage. The stewards overruled Red Bull and said that whatever advantage he gained had been given back already and nothing had to change. So Red Bull was angry, but nothing changed in the race. Yes, uh, about midway through the race, Max and Lewis both went in to get hard tires because hard tires last longer. So sometimes there's a one-stop strategy in these races. Sometimes there's a two-stop strategy. But in this 58-lap race, there seemed to be a one-stop strategy. They both went in for hard tires. And then Lewis just had the better car. He was running away with it and was with about six laps to go in lap 52. He was 10, 11 seconds ahead. And then all of a sudden, a really uh, irrelevant car to the race, a poor driver, a poor car by the racing team, Williams, Nicholas Latifi crashed. And that. Well, meant- well let me interrupt you just for one second, because yeah. before that even happened, an even worse driver, Gio, yeah. Gio Venazzi, um, yeah. for the Haas team. Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Alfa Romeo. Yeah, his car must have given out, and he yeah. comes puttering in to a stop off the track, and coasts right past a giant opening in the wall where he could have driven his car completely off the track, out of harm's way, and not affected the race. And he acts like he's out for a Sunday drive and just parks it on the side of the track and gets out, causing there to be a virtual safety car. So now Max goes in and gets rid of the hard tires. Because he was, he he still had the uh, ability to box at that point, whereas Lewis had was far enough ahead. They decided not to do it. Max cut off two seconds, so he they, Lewis was had twelve seconds at that point. Max cut off two seconds and then cut to where you were in your story. And what happens in this story is really fascinating because as a result of fast cars like Max and Lewis, they will literally go so fast that they will lap other drivers on the race course, which is very, very important because when you're continuing to go around the track, one of the things that could slow you down a little bit is getting past lap drivers. So Lewis knew that even though his tires were degrading, his hard tires were degrading and the soft tires that Max had on that Rooster just talked about were quick, Max was still going to get caught up in some traffic that he just wasn't going to be able to cut down the deficit in time. But on lap 52, Nicholas Latifi gets in an accident and a safety car comes on. And the accident was pretty bad. It had to be towed away. And what happens in F1 there was, is the, there was debris on the. Yeah. <laughs> it was de- debris. And, and to, to, to the point, to your point about the quality of the driving and the quality of the team, it was a single car accident. Right. And <clears throat> I mean, he was wheel to wheel a little bit before that with another car, but it was a single car accident. And he did oversteer, backing into a turn. Uh, a, a safety car had to come out. And what happens in F1 is the race continues. So the laps are going lap 53, lap 54, lap 55 while they're cleaning up. And this only goes 58. Well, 
all the drivers in the teams agree that wherever possible, you should finish any race under a green flag. That is racing conditions, if possible. But that meant that in order to finish under racing conditions, either that cleanup was going to have to happen fast or once it started under racing conditions, Max was going to be exactly where he was before, stuck behind those lapped cars. The rule is that you can unlap the cars only if everyone gets unlapped, but the safety car stays out for that. But this is at the discretion of the race director and the race director and the head of the Formula One Association, FIA, Michael Massey, decided that he was going to let the five cars that were between Max and Lewis unlap. That is, they would fall behind the safety car. Max would essentially get ahead of the safety car, and Lewis and Max could race head-to-head with one well, lap what did, remaining. What did Max do during the safety car? While the safety car was out there, Max kept lunging, lunging. Now that he, now that those other five cars, oh, he went were, in for soft tires. He got more. Oh, he, he got oh, another set of tires. Oh, he got a, he got another set of soft tires. I meant to say, but then once he came out, and it was decided that there was going to be one lap of racing, Max kept kind of lunging ahead, looking like he was going to take the lead, even though he was supposed to be in second. So now he had the advantage of yet a second fresh, fresh soft tires. He didn't have to go through traffic of five other tires. And it was just, it was a fait accompli. Once the race started, conclusion it was done. Yeah. Lewis was on old hard tires, even though he's a great driver. Max is on soft tires. The race started. Lewis held him off for about three seconds. And after that, Max passed him on the final lap and won the entire championship. While the manager, so to speak, of Mercedes is screaming in the headset. Toto Wolf, no, Michael, Michael no, go, you can't do this. Go, you Michael. cannot do this. I hope that folks will watch Netflix uh, Drive to Survive next season, if for no other reason, just to watch the recap of this race. It was as good as you get in drama and sports, but Michael Massey's a jerk, and we'll hear about that soon. Pope, yeah, dude, I, don't, don't, I don't know how you can defend it. Well, look, I mean, I was Ugh. for Hamilton. Let's get that out there. I was for <laughs> Hamilton. But you guys have driven me into this this corner that I now have Max, you know, on my side. Now I ordering, think didn't you put yourself in that red, corner with your ordering a full Red Bull outfit? <laughs> my, look, my perspective was, and here and here's where it gets fun on sports talk is is that it was a rub of the green. It was luck. Christian Horner comes on. Uh, the race, you know, whatever uh, feed and with 10 laps. And he says, you know, we need a miracle. The Mercedes car is faster. There's nothing that we can do to catch him. We need in a miracle, right? Well, that miracle was Nicholas Latifi and his, his inability to maneuver around the course without smashing his car. But that happened, right? But for that, then Mercedes was going to win. Hamilton would have had his eighth, but for that. So then, it's it's not in their control anymore. It's in race control. Uh, it's Michael Massey in the group. And if you remember when when they said initially we're not going to unlap the cars, <laughs> you remember Christian how Christian got, Christian got on the Christian phone got with on. Michael. Well, no, Massey was telling him, and Christian said, "Michael, but what?" And, and Michael's like, "Christian, hold on. Christian, hold on." Clearly, they were dealing with 
something that for whatever reason, they were not really equipped to handle in a, in a way that everybody could be comfortable with. Now, in retrospect, if they had known all of this, maybe the best thing would have been to do is a red flag. You red flag the, the after Latifi gets in, you got five laps. You know, now clearly Verstappen is going to start behind the guys he hasn't unlapped yet or lapped yet. But, you know, that's that's racing conditions. We got five laps. But what happened was they decided to try to get the race in. They didn't want to have an unsatisfactory finish under uh, under a yellow safety car to the entire Formula One driver championship. And it's almost like best interest of baseball clause that they use, which is. Both teams have, all teams have agreed they want to end on a green in racing conditions. And so they just kind of, they made it work. Now, was it messy? Yes. Did it violate some rules? Probably. Um, <laughs> oh my God. You know, but, but the bottom line is, is that Max, he got there because he got the advantage based on the rub of the green. And it happens. It, it was, it some, just happened. Listen. I think that whoever was on the phone with Michael Massey while Christian was trying to um, influence him made Michael Massey very nervous. He seemed like he was in full on panic at that point when he was talking to Christian Horner and the decision that he made was contrary to what all the announcers said should happen. And those guys know their business. And one of them is a former driver and and basically, basically what they said is that the thing should resume and sure they should race under the green, but, but, um, the, the five drivers don't get out of the way for max max doesn't get the benefit of them being unlapped because of what house said, if they're going to, if the, if the race director has the discretion to do that, it has to be when all parties effective are being unlapped, unlapped. So Mac uh, max, was affected by it. He, he gets to be the benefit of these guys being unlapped, but, but Lewis had already accomplished that on his own through his own skill in driving. He got no benefit out of them being unlapped. In fact, he got punished by it. So to me, the, the bottom line is before the crash, before the Latifi crash, Lewis had passed these five drivers. He was He was on his way to a win, and they just basically decided the race right then and there for Max and said, okay, these guys are out of your way. You're on your, like, two-second old tires now. Go go for it and win the race. I thought that was disgusting. It was was really chaotic, too, because they were saying, well, the race is going to be over because they can't unlap all of the cars and have the safety car not do one more lap, which would have been the final lap. And then all of a sudden, you know, you heard from race control, the following five drivers are to unlap. And then basically they did that almost at the same time that Max came up right behind Lewis. And then, then it was on. It's like, there was, there was no transition. Michael Massey might've just have said to Christian, will you please shut up? I've got the crown prince on the other line. You know, (laughs) um, there's a couple a couple postscripts, you know, the first postscript is that Mercedes lodged two immediate protests within 30 minutes after the race. Both of them were denied uh, by the stewards of the race. There is an allowance to give notification of the intention to file an appeal within 96 hours to the International Court of Appeal for Sport. And Mercedes 
now has 96 hours to decide whether or not they're actually going to file that appeal. I don't think they will in the end. I just don't. I think they should. I think they should, but I don't think they won't. But here's the thing, guys. It, no, I mean, I, I want to hear why you don't think they will, Toby. I just think there's no there's no resolution. They're not going to go back to Abu Dhabi. They're not going to go back to race conditions. And I think they're going they're not going to gonna strip. They're not going to strip Max of the time. They're not going to strip Max. And I think think the real reason why they're not going to appeal it is because Lewis is such a gentleman. He's mm-hmm. going to say, guys, I don't really like how this happened, but I don't want to be the crybaby of sport. And I don't want to be the whiner. It was really unfair. I think we should take our lumps and I think we should kill Red Bull next year. That's He's a cla- he is one class act. I think they should resolve it Game of Thrones style. But here's the thing, guys. You <laughs> should, know, they, should they I, fight to their, the death? Pick their here's champion? The, here's the larger <laughs> the issue. He, here's the larger issue for sport. I, One of my kids wrote from college who does not watch it, F1, but it was all over everything. You know, and he just sent a text and said, I heard there was some craziness in F1 today. What happened? And I described the situation to him and he said, oh, so that would be like if Chelsea were up three nothing on Man U and they just said next goal wins. And I I said, basically. And the thing is, we have as sports fans for the longest time, we've said, oh, I don't know about that flag. Is that because they want to see the Rams in the Super Bowl versus the Saints or the Cowboys get advanced instead of another team? We always say that as sports fans, is there a larger agenda that's happening by officials? And I don't know that we'll ever know. I think it's really weird that Giovinazzi got all of a sudden couldn't race anymore. I think it's really weird that Latifi racing for nothing, no money, no points, no nothing, all of a sudden has a single car accident. I think it's really weird that Michael Massey totally bends the rules. I don't know whether there's some conspiracy here, but I think one of the fun things about sport is just to wonder, is there a larger agenda at play? And at what point is bending the rules just too far? Maybe there were some chemtrails over the track. <laughs> it affected it affected the outcome a little bit <laughs> look at the at the end of the day though i i, I texted this and i still believe it I, I think ultimately this is great for f1 and i realize it's a it leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth about the way it ended but man nothing like controversy to get fired up for ratings and for next year i mean oh f1 my god is yes already f1 with Netflix alone, I mean, in Austin, there's going to be another U.S. race next year. It's going to be off the charts next year. And with this competition and the way it ended, uh, the controversy, uh, you know, F1 is just it's in a great spot. And it's unfortunate the way it ended. Um, I, I freely admit that. But this- it's not the worst thing in the world to have somebody beat Alabama. I, I said it right. Let's do it. Let's do right. it. Let's Not have, the worst thing in Cincinnati. the world to have Max win the driver championship over seven time, you know, winner Lewis Hamilton. It's not I agree. The worst I thing. agree. Fair and square, but not that way. But hang on. There's a difference between fair and square and cheating. Nobody's alleging that Red Bull cheated. Red Bull didn't do anything. No, I know. I'm not saying they got the benefit. They got the benefit of the flag. That's right. what they got is a benefit no, you're of right. the flag. You're right about that. You're right about right. that. Does anybody understand why? Does anyone understand why, <laughs> in, while he is in third place, uh, Checo just retired with a car that was not 
having problems? Yeah, I don't know why that Sergio Perez for Red Bull. I do not know that. Um, and yes, to get him well, out of the way. Yeah, but the, he was already out of the way. He had switched places. He had given second place over to it, and they were still fighting for the constructor championship against Mercedes mm-hmm. for the overall team points total. I don't know why that car was retired. Mercedes had it clinched. They were, yeah, uh, Mercedes had the title clinched. Yeah, that was done. But still, I mean, what are they saving the car for at that point? You know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer, Rooster. That's a good question. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Let's get Checo oh, on oh, and ask. Yeah, him. let's let's get him on as our next guest. Um, I like it. House, are you ready to punch some clown in the face? You know, I hope everyone will take the time to look at our social media so you can see this goddamn clown that's behind me. Because <laughs> the obvious punchable face of the week is Michael Massey. I'll never forget when the All-Star game, which is relatively unimportant in baseball, went into extra innings. Uh, one season and it was poor weather and Bud Selig just decided to declare the game a tie and everybody went nuts because there was no, there was nowhere in the rules to just call a tie. This was the, the essential, the commissioner, the Roger Goodell, the Bud Selig, the commissioner of F1 sports, just declaring an outcome. He completely flouted the rules. He had solutions available to him. I think Pope makes a great point. He could, a good steady-headed commissioner could have red flagged that race with six laps to go and allowed racing to occur. He could have come up with some, but you know what? To to basically say, Lewis, go ahead and do one lap of racing on bald tires against another guy who has fresh tires. And we're going to, by the way, we're going to get five cars out of the way that were on the track was the complete wrong outcome. It infuriated everybody but the fans of Red Bull. The drivers thought it was only the drivers themselves who have been quoted thought it was just made for TV. They didn't respect the decision of it. And this guy's got so much egg on his face that the best way to clear it is just to punch it. Michael Massey, you've got our, I think Pope's too, punch in the face. Boom. They need Boom. They, Boom, they, mate. Need, they need to figure it out. Now, of course, we'll probably never have another championship that comes down to a tie in the last race and potentially one lap for the championship driver's championship again, but they need to, to be proactively figure out a way to deal with this in any other race in the future. For sure. Anybody else, any other punchable faces? That's it until we punch the Washington football team this week. All right. All right there you go. All right. Well, punch him by six. Will you? <laughs> I have a uh, I have a Ted Lasso for us. Um, Barbecue sauce. Uh, you remember our last guest, writer for the undefeated Jerry Bembry. Well, I would commend to all of our listeners a beautiful story that Jerry wrote recently. Um, for the undefeated. And if you don't, if you don't read the undefeated, check it out. It's a, it's a digital magazine um, sponsored by ESPN that focuses on 
sports, black culture, and the arts. And they just have some real gems that you're not going to get in Sports Illustrated or other mainstream um, sports uh, outlets. And this particular story is a beautiful story of perseverance of a young athlete uh, and of his mother's love. And it's just really, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story to read. This, uh, this kid, Jaden McKinstry, was a stud athlete out of Toledo, Ohio. So he was, as a sophomore, 6'5", 200, strong as can be. Uh, two-sport athlete, really, really good at basketball, but the coaches took one look at him and said, we want you to try out football as well. And it turned out he was probably destined to be a power five football recruit um, because he was just that good. But after his sophomore year, he's playing in this all-gold Ohio AAU basketball game, and he goes up to do a like a poster dunk on some big dude and the guy inadvertently knees him in the nuts and turns out to be a godsend because um, J- Jaden needed to have surgery on his testicles <laughs> because they were swollen to the size of grapefruit. And it, in the course of the surgery, the doctors found that he had a stage four um, rhabdomyosarcoma form of cancer of the testicles, his lymph nodes, and his lungs. And the treatment for that is surgical removal plus some of the most grueling kind of chemotherapy treatment um, in the field. It's so grueling that they told his mom, look, there's a 50-50 chance of survival, even for someone as fit as, as Jaden. And um, he, he made it through the surgery he made it through the first treatment. And then as soon as you recover from the first treatment, they put you right back into it, made it through the second treatment. And then they found out that um, he, he had a tumor in his abdomen, had to go back in, have more surgery and start the whole chemo uh, over again. He said that he was um, using James Conner um, sort of as his inspiration and you guys remember that James Conner was a cancer survivor, survivor at Pitt, made it back, got drafted by the NFL, and is seeing a resurgence in his career this year. Um, so this, this kid actually, this all started in 2018 when he was a sophomore. The end of 2020, he, he made it back. He got the weight back on. He gained 50 pounds in one offseason. Um, he was fit and ready to go, but he had um, basically lost, you know, an entire year of playing time and then another year of pandemic shortened season to the point where power five is now off the table because they don't have enough to see from him. And so Bowling Green um, from the mid American um, conference gave him a D one scholarship and he's going to play football for Bowling Green. It's a beautiful story. Bowling Green got themselves a Alabama level level football player, and I really hope it works out for him and the school. I hope he I hope he's as good as everyone says he is, and he stays at Bowling Green and rewards them for their faith in him. But if he doesn't and moves on, good for him. He deserves it. Um, cheers to Jaden McKinstry and to our friend Jerry for writing that important. 
story. It was really a nice story. You ought to check it out. You're on um, mute. That's a great story. That's an incredible story. What result? I'll definitely be reading that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, they come out with a good story all the time. I mean, you really, you really ought to, you can just subscribe to it and get it, get it through email. And I'm never disappointed. There's good stuff in there. Um, What do you guys have? Anything else you want to? Just, we uh, we got to say happy birthday to one of our biggest fans of all of the SMQBs, to Cheryl Pope. Happy 39th birthday. Hope it's a great one. Thanks for being such a great listener. She loves celebrating her 39th, let me tell you. She's very good. I, at I, have, I think I've been with her at, for at least five of her 39th birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Cheryl. Happy birthday. Bison and milk. We'll see you all next week. Yeah, we, we, we can recap the Eagles' victory over Washington. Yeah, get, get back safely, Bison. We miss you guys. See you all next week. All right, that's it. See ya. SMQBs are Brian Bandwagon Pope, who hails from Dallas, Texas, and has never met a first-place team that he didn't have a personal connection to. Michael Rooster Phelan, hailing from Richmond, and who roots for teams from New York, or is it Boston? I can't remember which it was. One or the other. Also, Patrick Milk Michler from Tampa Bay, and he is still massively in love with Tom Brady and will never get over his man crush on the GOAT. Toby House Milrod, a long-suffering sports fan, hailing from Philadelphia, whose Eagles team, mm, they're still looking for another quarterback. And I am Chris Bison Nace, hailing from Washington, District of Champions. Thanks for listening.